The scripture is 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 14. For I do not know you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be adulterers or idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and, they were, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way so that you can endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. So yeah, like I said, I get to tackle the statement uh, that God won't give you more than you can handle. Um, thank you for reading Corinthians there, Colleen. Um, it is implied a slight bit in this Corinthians verse that uh, we just heard that God won't give us more than we can handle. But I think that this verse is telling us a little more and is a little deeper than we first read. Would you please pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. I ask that your message of peace grace, and love would come through this morning, and that you and you alone would be glorified. Amen. So a rhetorical question for you here. What do you think of when you hear the statement that God will not give you more than you can handle? Personally, I start to think about the little things in a day that just completely drain you. Any one of these issues is not a big deal on its own, but when you put them all together, they can just overwhelm and consume your whole self. I call it being nibbled to death by ducks. <laughs> but then I start to think about some of the bigger issues, the more serious things like illness, or an unexpected financial burden, or perhaps even the loss of a loved one. These are what I would consider some very overwhelming issues, and rarely are they easy or fun to deal with. I want to tell you a story about a man named Job. Job is described in the Bible as blameless and upright, a man who feared God and shunned evil, something we all strive for. But yet in one day, in separate instances, Job lost all of his donkeys, oxen, sheep, and camels, which basically equates to all of Job's wealth. And as if this wasn't enough, in that same day, his sons and daughter are killed as well. This is one day, people, just one. It's a lot to happen. Tell me this wouldn't rock your world if this happened to you. If you lost everything that was dear and valuable in your life. 
Job's response to this situation is rather interesting, though. He doesn't react the way I think most of us would react. He doesn't swear or get angry. He doesn't look for someone to blame. He doesn't mope or even feel sorry for himself. He doesn't try to get even. Job simply stopped and worshiped the God that created him. Job 1, verses 20 through 20, excuse me, 20 through 20, 20 through 22 reads as follows. At this, Job got up and tore his robe. He shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. How much different would our lives look if we worship the God that created if worshiping the God that created us was the first response to our difficulties? The book of Job goes on to tell how Job is afflicted with painful sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Job's wife, haven't quite figured out why she's still around, uh, told him to curse God and die, but Job didn't sin in his response. I believe that Job was given much more than personally he could handle. He lost basically everything he had in this world, from wealth to health to relationships. So why didn't Job crack under the pressure? Job had a hope in something other than this world had, has to offer. Job had learned to trust God in the good and the horrendous. I think Greg did a great job last week of explaining trials and tribulations we face are not only a testing of our faith, but sometimes they are a direct consequence for choices that we or others have made. So let me say this. I can pretty much guarantee that in this world, you will have trials and troubles. Permit me to read you a couple of scriptures to back up my statement. In John 16, verse 33, it says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And again in James 1, verses 2 and 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Because we live in a fallen world, we will have problems. We'll face issues that are going to test us to and even beyond our limits. I'm sorry, I get nervous up here, so I get really dry. <laughs> you guys are scary. <laughs> so how does this fit into the 13th verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where it clearly states that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear? Let's dig a little deeper and see if we can't get a little better understanding of what Paul is trying to tell us. The first part of chapter 10 was a little confusing to me when I first read it in the New International Version. So I started fishing through different translations. I wanted to better understand what the purpose and meaning of this verse and chapter was. I found a little clearer picture in the message translation. Permit me to read the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 10 out of the message. 
Remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation's life. They all ate and drank identical food and drink, meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they were. And the rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert, and God was not pleased. The writer, Paul, is simply telling us that while these people of Israel experienced God firsthand, they still fell into temptation. It's a history lesson with a purpose, and that purpose is explained in the next line. The same thing can happen to us. This, Paul wants us to be on guard against taking God's blessings for granted. So often we get caught up in self. I know I've looked at a brother or sister in Christ and wondered why they seem to have it so easy when I'm facing a difficult situation. Why would God protect them and not me? He provided for them when I've been asking for so long. I forget rule number one. God is good all the time. I try to place my sense of morality and fairness on God, and that doesn't work. Paul knew that we are just like the Israelites in this story, just in a different time and place. And that's explained in verse 6 through 12. The same thing could happen to us. We must be on guard so that we never get caught up in wanting our own way as they did. And we must not, re must not turn our religion into a circus as they did. First the people partied, then they threw a dance. We must not be sexually promiscuous. They paid for that, remember, with 23,000 deaths in one day. We must never try to get Christ to serve us instead of serving him. They tried it, and God launched an epidemic of poisonous snakes. We must be careful not to stir up discontent. Discontent destroyed them. These are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so that we do not repeat their mistakes. Our position in the stories are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end. And we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Paul is telling them and us, to guard our faith. I love the line that we're just as capable of messing it up as they were. We need to make sure that we're keeping God first in our lives. Not just Sunday mornings, but every single day. So how do we guard our faith? First off, we need to be in prayer. Prayer is a rather daunting word. It has such an intimidating feeling. It goes with it. We need to clean ourselves up. We need to set apart, you know, six hours to pray. Uh, we need to then figure out the right words to say that God will actually listen to us. And I think you get the picture. 
But I'd like to change that picture just a little bit. I'd like to offer that prayer can be simple. Prayer is just talking with God. It doesn't have to be formalized. It doesn't need to be set way apart. You don't need to disappear and, and be all alone. It just is talking with God. We need to talk to our Heavenly Father. Have you ever been away from a friend for a while? You want to hear everything that's been going on in their life, what's happened to them, who they met, everything. God is the same way with us. We're his kids. He's a loving father who wants to know what's going on in our lives. God wants to share in the good times and the bad times. Next time you feel the need, don't pray. Just simply talk to your heavenly father. Talk to God. Next, we need to be reading the word. Bible, the Bible is God's living word, and it's how we're going to know God's story. The Bible can be a difficult book to read. I've, I've struggled with it. It's a, sometimes it's like reading a reference book. It can be dry and hard to understand, and it takes a lot of time. But even with all of that, the Bible is important. The Bible is so important, it's one of the core beliefs of the Covenant Church, and I would say even the church as a whole. Covenant belief is that we believe that the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, is the Word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. The Bible gives us rules to live by, understanding and wisdom for our faith, and it teaches us how we are to live in this world. Furthermore, we need community. From Genesis, where it says it is not good for man to be alone, to Hebrews, where it reminds us not to give up meeting together. God wants us to be together, to live together, to share in community. This makes even more sense when you start to think about handling problems. We all bring something to the table, and what you have is different from the person who's sitting next to you. If we use these gifts and talents to help one another, we can solve a lot more things that come our, our way. Ecclesiastes says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. We're stronger when we stand together. The last two things I'm going to touch on are kind of tied together in the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. First, your faith needs action. Not to earn your way into heaven, but rather as an outward show of the love and grace that you have received. James says it this way, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. He goes on to say that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Remember the love your neighbor is yourself command? If your faith is alive, you're going to want to serve God. That may be praying, it may be volunteering, it may be mowing your neighbor's lawn, or maybe hosting a meal for a friend. But in some way, shape, or form, you'll want to further the kingdom of God and share that faith that you've received. Lastly, and most importantly, we need to hope in the one true and holy God. If we focus on the world and the problems we face, we're going to have a miserable existence. 
there's no hope. Remember when I said that Job had learned to trust God? Because Job knew the depth of God's love for him, he was able to trust in the future. Maybe not in this world, but assuredly in the world to come. We need to trust the eternal rather than what the world is offering. Which does bring us to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians 10. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So on your own, you can be pushed past your limits. You need hope in God. And in his providence, he will help you so that you don't stumble and fall. So please, read your Bible so you can know and be a part of God's story. Pray or talk to God. He really does want to hear from you. Ask God to increase your faith so you can grow and learn even more. Let your faith speak so that your witness is visible and the community is served. And let the community help you so that you don't fall. We have a little saying in our house, there is no bottom. You're always going to have problems and things can always get worse. But when we trust God and who he is, we can have a hope and experience joy even in the hard times. Would you please pray with me? Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you have blessed us with and the things that we get to experience in you. I thank you that you carry us through those difficult times and that you are with us even when we don't see it or feel it. I pray that we not take that for advantage, or take advantage of that. Lord, I ask that you would walk with these people this week, that they can see you in their lives, and that they would be blessed by you. In Jesus' name, amen.